Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Bugman Eric Nagusky. Eric shares a lifetime of knowledge on fly fish in Pennsylvania and the patterns and tactics you need to be successful. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is, tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spends. To see for yourself in 2022, the folks from Norvice will be at all the fly fishing shows, the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Also, if you need to do some extra Christmas shopping, from now until 11.59 p.m. EST on Christmas Eve, if you purchase a Norvice e-gift card of $100 or more, you will receive 25% off your next Norvice purchase. For all the details, head over to www.nor-vice.com today. Now, on to the interview. Well, Eric, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, Marvin, thank you very much for having me. Um, hopefully, you won't have to change it into the inarticulate fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that won't be the case. And we we have a we have a tradition on the articulate fly. We always like to ask our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I honestly I don't have a whole lot of memories that don't include fishing. <laughs> so um, it was, you know, I'm. I'm probably going to say I was three or four years old at the oldest, maybe. And uh, we, my father was a was a sailor, and we had a sailboat on the eastern shore of Maryland and on Chesapeake Bay, and spent a lot of time in that uh, in the marina. And you know, I I, I always I, I saw the fish around the docks and everything, and I, and I was bugging my dad for for a fishing rod. And finally he said, uh, you know, all right, I, in the Marina store, there was a, he said, I'll buy, I was, I was eyeing up this, I don't know, Zebco, you know, spin casting rod. And I was like, I really want that. He's like, I'll buy you a cane pole in case you don't decide you don't like, you're not going to stick with it. Well, that was 50 years, almost 50 years ago. So <laughs> apparently I decided to stick with it. And, uh, you know, it was cool growing up, you know, being a little kid around that Marina. I, you know, I did a lot of a lot of stuff for caught a lot of a lot of sunfish, a lot of bass, occasional striped bass that wandered too close within casting range, and um, a lot of big carp and things. And uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's like I said, I don't have a whole lot of. I learned how to walk on that sailboat. I learned how to swim in that bay. And, um, I learned how to fish there too. I guess. Yeah, really neat. When did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? <laughs> that was the spring of 1978. I was 10 years old. Uh, very neat. And how did that come about? Well, you know, I had a I had a cousin who was about he's about 15, maybe 20 years older than I am, and he happened to uh, he was a fly fisherman, and he knew I liked to fish, and um, he took me up to um, northern Pennsylvania and the Pine Creek Valley, and um, and uh, we he stuck a fly rod in my hand on the on the banks of Cedar Run and and I fished up there uh, Slate Run Cedar Run Pine Creek um, you know fell in got wet in April and it's cold and I loved every second of it <laughs> yeah, yeah very neat and we know it's all been downhill from there right right um, who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey you know it's interesting um, that. I've thought about this about that over the years, and you know, I, I'm, I didn't really have a whole lot of people to fish with when growing up, and you know, there definitely um, I, I did a lot of my fishing by myself, and I, I did it, uh, I still do, <laughs> and um, it was uh, it was I was basically allowed to run feral um, as, a, as a little kid and as a teenager and, and along the trout streams and you know, farm ponds and rivers around my house. And, um, so I, I pretty much have, have done it pretty much by myself. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I think we're of about the same vintage. And so that whole experience of like no YouTube, right. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was library books, you know, and yeah. the reality is right. Even like in the seventies, there were not a lot of fly fishing articles in field and stream. No. 
right? No, and so, not. and so, yeah, if you didn't have a grandparent or a parent to take you, or you weren't lucky enough to kind of find someone who was kind of willing to share the secret sauce, you kind of had to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did. You know, I just, I just went fishing. I mean, I was already fishing anyway. And so now I just replaced the spinning rod with a fly rod. I was enthralled by it. I think, I think, um, you know, Saturday morning television, watching, uh, Kirk Gowdy and American sportsman. And like, those, like I just sat there mesmerized by those tarpon on those fly rods and things like that. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to catch fish like that. I want to go fishing. And, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter where it was. It could be the little trickle of a stream, warm water stream by my house, or it could be Chesapeake Bay. It didn't matter. I, I, I was ready to go fishing no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the, the next uh, step into the, onto the dark side was you were tying flies. Do you remember your first vice and the first fly you tied? Yeah, I do. I was, I was about 12 years old and I had a Thompson model a, and uh, I, I was pretty sure it was a, it was either a gold rib hair's ear or a woolly worm. One of the, one of the two. <laughs> I can't remember exactly which one, but I know I remember, I remember tying a, a ton of those gold rib hair's ears. My cousin told me, yeah, you got to have that fly. It's a great fly. So I did my best to, to, to get, to spin up some of those. And, um, I'm pretty sure that was one of the first, if not the first. Very neat. So did that, was that kind of like, uh, I guess what we have now, we have those Wopsy kits that have uh, that type of clamp vice with some of the materials. Is that kind of how the materials came or was it different? Yeah, it was, I didn't have a kit. I sort of pieced together some stuff um, from my cousin. He gave me some materials um, but no instruction. <laughs> and I kind of, kind of went to, you know, I had to, I did, I did read a lot about, about fly tying and fly fishing and, you know, and by that time, you know, 1980 rolled around and there were a few magazines that had some flies in them. And I, I, you know, read those things till the covers fell off. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I don't remember where I got all the, all the materials, but it definitely wasn't a kit. It was definitely piecemealed together. <laughs> Yeah. And it's also too, I mean, back then, you know, you're a little bit luckier you're in Pennsylvania, but you know, one, you couldn't mail order a lot of stuff, but in two, there weren't a lot of fly shops. No, there definitely weren't. Um, as I got older, um, uh, and, you know, a little bit older, um, I was fortunate enough to grow up about 15 minutes away from Bob Clouser's shop. So he was, uh, you know, it, you know, if you want to say I had a, a fly tying mentor, I didn't, he didn't really, he always was, was very helpful and very kind to me growing up. I got my, you know, my first Renzetti vice from him when I was in high school. And, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, he was always very helpful and, and, uh, and kind to me, willing to share ideas and, and, you know, a little bit of cynicism too, but, you know, that's how they, that's how they are. Yeah, it's interesting. I can remember talking to him about uh, developing the the Clouser Minnow and him talking to me about how, you know, the dumbbell eyes were originally gremlin weights. Yeah. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting to uh, to see kind of how that uh, that got figured out. And, you know, if we let a, a fair amount of water go under the bridge, you know, you're now the owner of Rise Forms Fly Fishing. Uh, when did you get the guide bug? Yeah, you know, um, I... I'm trying to think. I think this was like my 22nd season. So I kind of eased into it. I don't know that I got the bug. I kind of had to be cajoled into doing it. I, I kept hearing the words, you know, you should, you should guide, you should be a guide, you know? And at the time I was, I was tending bar and, you know, I'd run into some people who were, who were, uh, you know, fly fishermen. I was living in state college, and, uh, Pennsylvania up there fishing up there a lot. And, you know, we talked to, talk to people and you know you know how we had successful i wanted to go on fishing with a bunch of people and they're here and there and you know i just kept hearing that over and over again and finally i said all right well i can you know it, it wasn't a big deal to hang out a shingle and kind of you know say hey you know if you guys want somebody wants to go fishing we'll go and then i started i got it a little bit for uh tco um probably about 18 started that about 18 years ago here and there not a whole lot because they were they were still in, just in reading at the time so i would go down there if they needed me i ran a couple hosted trips for them over the years in the early years and uh it just sort of i didn't really want to rush into it i actually you know it was it was a little intimidating to me i thought you know it was always 
when you fish and you go out, it's always different. You know, I'm always trying to figure out the puzzle. And I maybe I just wasn't overly confident enough to, to say, yeah, I'm the greatest. You know, I should show you you how to fish. You know, I, um, I, I, I still am a little hesitant to that. I think it's, I like to go fishing with people and we try to figure it out together. And I try to, you know, talk, you know, to them how, what I'm thinking about when I'm, when we're throughout the day, you know, how we're doing it and why I'm doing something. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So now it's to the point where, um, you know, it's, it, I'm as busy, I'm busier than I want to be. And, uh, it's, it's getting, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a blast. I love it. I still love it. Yeah. And it's interesting too, cause I noticed on your website, you know, not only are you doing, you know, I guess what folks would consider to be kind of tra- uh, traditional, you know, like central PA guiding, but you also have some educational things that you do uh, through your guide service. You want to let folks know about those too? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I, I have, uh, you know, I, I offer, you know, some stream entomology um, uh, trips, if you want to call them that, where we'll go out, we'll talk about the time of year, and we'll, you know, I'll kick, do a little kick sample and look at some bugs, and, and hopefully we'll see some adults flying around if it's the right time of year, and we'll try to identify them and talk about the, uh, you know, the, the roles that the insects that we're finding, what, what they play in the in the child's diet and the, the role they play in the aquatic ecology of the stream. And, uh, it's, it, it's neat. Um, I, I don't get as many people, uh, to do that as I think I, I guess I wish I did. I love doing it. Um, and, uh, but it's definitely something that, that I think could benefit a lot of people. I think, um, you know, to get a little bit, to be a really successful, um, and confident ang angler, especially, I think you need to know, you need to observe more than anything. And, um, if you have a little bit of knowledge, um, going into it, what you might expect, it helps, it helps to, uh, to sometimes to figure out what's going on when you can't see, when no one else seems to be able to catch fish, you might have a little bit of an edge. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you're, you're buggy, right? Cause I mean, we were talking, we were talking in Parsippany and like, we've got common buggy friends, like, you know, you know, Matt Green and he's a buggy guy. And, um, and, and I remember from my interview with, uh, with Jake, he was like, well, you know, I've got this guy and I show him a bug and I tell him it's this. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And that's you, right? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, uh, of course, nobody would know if I was right or wrong, but, <laughs> but I do. I do. I have my, that's my background. My education is aquatic ecology and aquatic entomology. Um, uh, I love that stuff. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, having that understanding, it certainly isn't going to work against you when, as, as a fly angler. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I think it's, um, that, you know, that, uh, Paul Weimer, you know, kind of makes a, and I'm going to paraphrase him from the, the book, the bug book, you know, he talks about, you know, having a knowledge of, of a thorough knowledge of aquatic insects is kind of like being able to cast the whole entire fly line. Do you need it constantly all the time? No, but to be able to make a cast and be confident in your casting and being, and having that knowledge of the aquatic insects is, you know, it just gives you an edge. It gives you an edge of understanding what's happening around you when you're trying to figure out, um, you know, the the what the fish are doing, what they might be doing even before you go. You know, it gives you a gives you kind of a heads up if you do a little homework and and get that knowledge base. Um, you know, it's all, and I'm always learning about that too. And that's the other cool thing about it. It's always changing. I always see something new. There's always variations and things. And, you know, there's one thing about fly fishing and, and bugs and fish. And, you know, that the only one thing I know for sure, and that's that you never say never and you never say always. <laughs> it's, it's always something, it's always something a little different. So it's uh, the, the entomological, um, uh, the entomological uh, knowledge that you can gain over the years. If you just take a look around, t- turn over some rocks, pick up some bugs. And there's a lot of good resources on the internet these days. You know, uh, trout nut is a great website. Uh, a lot of, a lot of knowledgeable people on there. If you can't find the bug you're, you're seeing in their archives there, you can always post a picture of it and somebody will help you out. Um, and, you know, I'd be happy to help people out. People send me pictures of bugs all the time and ask me what, what it is. And, 
I'm happy to happy to help anytime. Yeah, and you got some gorgeous photography on your website of insects. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy that part. Yeah, so it's interesting too because I mean it's it's one thing to like kind of dig into it to kind of up your game on the water, but what was it you know when you were in school that captured you and said you know I want to study this? I think it's it's just a something that I felt comfortable in. Um, you know, it was something that I had always done. I think it was like maybe it was just a general inquisitiveness, even from when I was a kid. I grew up in a rural area, and I just wanted to know what I was looking at and. You know, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of um, just, I, I wanted to know. I wanted to know what that thing crawling around on that rock was. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was in, I think I was in the seventh grade in a biology class. And the curriculum that year was, they were doing, it was an entomological, you know, they wanted, and they had to go through the, the orders of, uh, of insects. And, you know, I, my hat just so happens that, that my science teacher was a fly fisherman and I started, you know, I I knew all the all of them already all the cloud all the orders and especially the the ones that the trout ate and you know I wound up tying flies for that guy for years for years <laughs> helps with the grade. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's pretty neat. It's funny. So a lot of the retired uh, science teachers from my high school would worked at my hometown fly shop for the discount after they retired. There you go. <laughs> so, so, you know, you talked about kind of easing into guiding, um, you know, who are some of the folks that kind of mentored you on your guide journey and what did they teach you? Yeah. You know, I didn't, I think if I had to pick somebody that I didn't really have anybody that said, here, this is how you should guide. This is what you should do. Um, I, but, you know, I'm in an area that has a lot of really, really talented anglers. And, you know, some one person I'm going to pick out here and, and uh, is Tom Baltz. Um, you know, I, he never, I never really, like, rode along with him or, you know, said how. I asked him a whole lot of questions. But I'll tell you what, um, I always paid attention to what he was saying, and I still do. You know, and not only about guiding, but, but fly tying and, you know, the history of our local area here, you know, he's a, he's a treasure. Um, and, uh, he's a great person to talk to. And, um, and, you know, you, I pick up a lot of stuff just by being quiet and listening, <laughs> you know, and it happened over the years in the fly shops too. You know, just kind of, especially when I was like a teenager, you know, I would, I would listen to what these guys were here. And I, and you know, I'm talking about guys like Vince Marinaro and, and Charlie Fox would come into the shop and I was there and I never said anything to him. I just listened. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. It's interesting. You say that. Cause I mean, kind of when you think about that kind of like late seventies, early eighties, I mean, that was kind of how it was when you were a kid, right? Yeah. You know, you were just kind of happy to kind of be around where all the action was and you just, uh, you were well behaved and to your point, kept your ears open and you could learn a lot of stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so it's interesting too, you know, uh, we were talking in, in Parsippany and, um, you know, I guess earlier this year, I guess it was probably what it's, I think it was in May, uh, you released a book, favorite flies for Pennsylvania. And I was curious if you could, uh, could share with me and our listeners a little bit about the genesis of the project. Yeah, sure. Um, honestly, it was really never on my radar to even write a book. Um, but I had a, small contribution to uh, the a book called Keystone Fly Fishing. And the editor of that book was Jay Nichols. Um, and one day I was in the fly shop and he approached me about writing the, the book for Favorite Flies for Pennsylvania. Um, it's you know part of a series of books on fly fishing locations throughout the U.S. and fly patterns for those areas. And, and I was, you know, it was it sort of caught me off guard, like I said, but I was certainly flattered and I, and I was, you know, I was a little scared to do it at first, but, uh, I, uh, he talked me into it <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to have that effect on people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's always amazing. I mean, when you look at kind of, um, what people think of as kind of being kind of the current fly fishing literature, you know, how many of those books he's responsible for bringing to market. It's pretty incredible. Oh, it's amazing. He Jay has been involved in so many just unbelievable amount of books and fly fishing uh, books and and uh, you know if there's you know there's hard to think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody else in the industry that's had their hand in so so much 
<laughs> that's, that's come out of the publishing world and fly fishing. Yeah, sure. a- absolutely. And so, you know, uh, you were encouraged to, uh, to write favorite flies for Pennsylvania. Did you have a particular angler in mind when you wrote the book? Yeah, definitely. You know, I wanted the, the book to um, sort of talk to a, to an, a fly angler who's, who's never been to Pennsylvania to fish for trout and to, to, to buy the book and read the book and come to the Keystone State with a, you know, a, fl- a fly box of patterns that would, you know, help them really be successful no matter what trout stream or river they were fishing uh, or the time of year that they were, they were coming. Um, I, uh, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was difficult uh, in, in certain respects um, leaving, only picking 50 because I know I was really overly concerned probably with leaving certain patterns out because I'm sure there are people out there that I can't believe you didn't put this pattern in there. It's the best fly in the state. I can't, you know, and I, I just, I just had to pick 50. <laughs> I snuck in some more though, but, uh, uh, you know, I, and then, you know, Jay was great to work with, with, with the book. He's a super nice guy and was always willing to, to help me out and to listen to what I had to say. It was very receptive to conversations about the book and everything. It was, it was, it was fun. Yeah, and so, you know, for folks that haven't had a chance to take a look at it, you've got kind of some of the, you know, to your point, like Ed Shink's patterns, Vince Marinero's patterns, some of those are kind of in the preface, and you've got 50 patterns in the book, and it's interesting because they're they're really a good cross-section of, you know, what I would call, you know, traditional to kind of newer patterns. How did you actually pick those 50 patterns? Well, what I did was I contacted, you know, some of the people that I know, who the best anglers that I know, and and some guys here in PA and, and asked them if they'd be willing to, you know, let me, you know, let me know what they, what they were fishing every day and, um, and what patterns they shot, they thought should be in the book, explain the, explained, you know, basically what I just said here to them and said, you know, if you were coming to PA, what, what patterns would you give me 10 patterns that you would absolutely tell somebody they had to have. And from those, it was, it was pretty interesting. A lot of the flies that are in the book came up over and over and over and over and over again. Um, but I also wanted to, uh, you know, feature some Pennsylvania tires and, and some of the patterns that were developed here um, and, and try to, you know, there are definitely some non-PA flies in here, um, but uh, I think there's a good representation of some of the modern tires here and, and, and innovators from, from Pennsylvania. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, when we were uh, in New Jersey at the Fly Tying Symposium talking, you know, and Tom was, Tom Baltz was there with us, and it was it kind of helped remind me, you know, about how rich and unique Pennsylvania's fly fishing culture is. Yeah. Um, and it's very different, right? And I don't know how to explain it because, you know, there are other places that have, you know, technical fisheries, um, mm-hmm. but there's just something – really kind of unique about Pennsylvania you kind of can you maybe I don't know help me put my finger on it because I, I can't explain <laughs> it very well well I think I think the thing is is there's a couple things going on here I think that the fact that we have we have so many different types of water you know we've got we've got spring creeks we've got the mountain freestones bigger ones we have you know little brook trout streams we have large rivers we have tailwaters we have you know, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, like sort of some marginal trout waters where we have migratory brown trout that come in and out. We've got a variety of, 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 of water here and not to mention the stocked trout fishery that we have here. Um, you know, it, I think that sets as far from a historical standpoint, I think that sets Pennsylvania apart from places like New York, like the Catskills where there's a, incredibly rich history of fly fishing and fly tying, but the water types are pretty similar as you go around. Whereas, and it's, it's more of a centralized location in, in be it the Adirondacks or the, or, or the Catskills where you have these brawling, you know, freestone streams that, you know, where, and then Pennsylvania, we had a different, the, the, the people who came before me and were innovators in, in, in fly fishing and fly tying in Pennsylvania, they had a different set of problems to solve. Um, and 
those those different set of problems, be it flat water, super selective trout eating jacids on the latour, you know, or you know, or 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 flat water tailwaters. Um, I think I think that uh, those conditions and those set of of, of uh, problems that those anglers had to solve are a little bit different than everywhere else. And and it was just sort of a timing thing as well. We that happened, and then it kind of spread. And a lot of the things that have innovations that have come out of Pennsylvania have you know have spread across the world. Um, and, and are applicable, you know, whether you're in New Zealand or you're at, on the Henry's Fork or you're on the shoots, the upper the shoots, wherever you are. I think, you know, the, the variation in our water types and our, our, the innovators who work to solve, whether it could it be fly design for, you know, rough and tumbling waters like Altros, you know, um, Alcaricatus, where that bounces around great. It's a great, you know, rough water fly. Um, or you have Vince Marinero's Thorax Duns, where, or the Comparaduns, um, that you know, just solve this different set of problems. But those problems are not unique to Pennsylvania, and they travel well. So, yeah, it's interesting too, because I guess you know Pennsylvania is relatively easy to get to, and it's really close to a lot of population centers on the East Coast. So, I mean, I guess you also get a lot of anglers that get to do a lot of experiments, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you had people coming from, from New Jersey, um, and, and, and Maryland and those people like, you know, like Lefty, and, uh, and those guys would come up and see what was going on in Pennsylvania, by the local hangers and kind of spread the word, you know, Ernie Schreiber is another person that comes to mind. He fished around here a lot, um, it, it, the list goes on, you know, where these people who would come to Pennsylvania look to see what the local anglers were doing and the innovations they were making, um, and sort of spread the word. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you really start to dig into it, um, you know, I'll give a little plug for the fly fishing, um, uh, uh, museum, Pennsylvania association fly fishing museum here in Carlisle, um, you know, it's cool to walk through there and take a real look, close look at what all has happened here in Pennsylvania over the years. Yeah, very neat. And it's a nice segue to my next question. So for folks who haven't had a chance to check out your book, you know, for each pattern, you've got the recipe and you've also got suggestions about how to fish it, but you also include the pattern's history and kind of to what we just started talking about, you know, why is the history so important to you? Well, I think it's probably because I grew up here. I grew up fishing in the footsteps of you know, some really legendary figures in our sport. And you now, even as a as a younger teenager, it was never really lost on me where I was and what occurred on the same banks that I was walking through. Or I'm stuck in the mud along the little tour. You know, there were a lot of other people who came before me that were doing important things in the fly fishing world, um, being stuck in that same mud. <laughs> uh, you know, even, you know, since I didn't really have a, you know, I didn't really, we talked a little bit before, I didn't really have a mentor as such. So when I wasn't, um, you know, running around the trout street and stuff, I spent a lot of time reading about fly fishing and fly tying and those names of those streams that I knew and the people that, that I had heard of or met, you know, that, that fished them, they were showing up in those same articles over and over and over again. I think that, you know, being aware of what becomes, comes before you is important in charting the course for the future of fly fishing and fly tying. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into constructing a fly, whether it be a streamer or a dry fly or a new, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, everything should be on that hook shank for a reason, you know, and, and if you look in the past, how, how the tires and the anglers, uh, before us, how they solved those problems, um, you know, it, it's worthwhile having a knowledge base of that because especially in fly time today, I mean, the, the, the plethora of materials that we have available to us are great. We can utilize those materials in the same way that those people did before in fly design um, to make a dry fly float better, give it a better imprint on the water. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just like I said, I just think it's important to, to remember what's going on or what went on before you and, and how it sort of ties into what's happening now. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting too, right? Because it makes you humble because you realize that it's what you think is new is not as new as you think it is. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I mean, but that's sort of the beauty of, of of fly fishing and fly tying. You know, a lot of it is derivative, but it a lot of times it's it's you know there there are slight improvements in you know especially fly tying and and on tackle. You know, I mean, geez, um, you start talking about fly fly lines, but a plastic fly line might be the biggest you know, innovation in fly fishing ever, um, you know, and uh, especially if you want to keep your flies floating and things like that, uh, it's, uh, it's, it is, it's important to understand why the things are the way they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of following up on what we were talking about earlier, you know, I think Pennsylvania uh, has a, a really unique concentration of technical fisheries. Um, and there, there are certainly some patterns in your book that are very specialized. And, you know, we always kind of have this, um, this debate about presentation versus pattern, right? And uh, you'll have your own nymphing guys tell you that they can catch fish on pretty much anything. And then you've got other people that are really dialed into matching the hatch and be kind of curious to get your thoughts on kind of where you shake out on all that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, to me, presentation wins every time. Whether you're presenting a nymph, tight line, and tight line a nymph through a run or whatever, um, you know, absolutely, presentation wins every time. Casting um, is, you know, especially from a, from my perspective as a guide, you know, being able to cast is. People always ask me, not always, but a lot of people ask me, you know, at the end of the day, you know, is there anything I should work on? Casting, casting, it's always casting. Um, you know, but back to the presentation versus uh, pattern thing, you know, presentation wins every time, you know, you could, you could, you, uh, pre- that said, but like you mentioned, there are these technical fisheries, you can present the wrong fly perfectly and snub, be snubbed by a child in plenty of waters. Um, you know, especially here, well, not just here, but there's a lot of places around the country that are really heavily pressured and they have prolific insect hatches, um, you know. I think that that there's patterns in the book. Some of them were developed. You know, uh, you know, the CDC bowback caddis comes to my mind right away from Renee Harrop, you know, on the Henry's Fork. And we talk about a technical fishery that gets is pressured beyond belief. You know, those flies, that fly um, was developed out there. But we have similar conditions here, say on like the Upper Delaware system or Penn's Creek or some other place that has a lot of bugs and is heavily you know, it's fished heavily, those fish see a ton of flies. So yeah, your presentation better be perfect, but your fly better be darn darn good too. So I'm gonna say presentation wins every time because there's gonna be places where the, the fly pattern doesn't matter as much. But there's also gonna be places where that you better have both things going right for you. <laughs> um, you know, I think that uh the uh to be a little bit, and that's what I try to do with the book. I try to have people be prepared for those those waters um, that you're going to run into people during prime time, you know, middle, beginning of May and the middle of May on Penn's Creek. You're going to see people, and those people are throwing flies. And you know, maybe these, some of these flies in this book will give you a little bit of an edge. Um, maybe it's something a little different than some people are throwing. Um, or it's just floating in the surface on the surface or under the moving under the water in just a little bit of a different way than some, some other flies. And, or it has some sort of trigger on it that, that whether that trigger be movement or color or flash, um, there's something a little bit different about the fly that, that maybe uh, put the tip scales in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, right? Because you've got varieties of all different kinds of flies, you know, nymphs and streamers and wet flies. But it was pretty clear to me from from reading the introduction of your book that you really love fish and dries. <laughs> Jeez, is it that, is it that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to paraphrase Girak, you know, I'm not a dry fly purist, but I want to be one when I grow up. Yeah, there you so go. I think, I, <laughs> you know, I, it, it really has, this has nothing really little bit to do with the book but you know i think what attracts me to the fish and the dry fly is, is, a, is a few things combination of things first is i love i'm a bug nerd and i love to solve the puzzle i know i love trying to figure it out what what's what what are they eating you know 
what's that bug flying by me? Are they eating the adult? Are they eating the, the merger? Is there a nymph struggling in the surface film? You know, what are, is, there, is, there, is there a cast pupil swimming to the surface? I love trying to figure, out, figure that game out. And uh, I think the next thing is it, it just comes down to it being visual. You know, I don't know too many fly anglers or any angler who don't like to spot a fish, make the cast with the right fly, and then see that nose come up out of the surface and then hail that dry fly. What's not to like? <laughs> um, you know, and the other, here's the other thing I think that kind of um, trying to say this with not offending anyone. Um, the casting, uh, it's pretty simple. I just like to cast a fly rod, you know, and, I, and I'm not great at it. I'm not winning any casting contests anytime soon. But here again, you know, I'm back to the solving the problem. What cast do I make? Where do I position myself to make the so I make that presentation in a way that I think is going to fool that fish. You know, it's pretty satisfying to, to get in a good position, see a fish that's in a tough spot and, you know, make a cast, get a good drag through free drift. And maybe that drift's only, you know, nine inches, but it's the right nine inches. And, you know, you see that fly disappear. It's, it's pretty cool. And I guess the, you know, if I had to pick one more thing, I'd say, um, you know, I'm not really a, I don't, I'm not a big fish hunter. I was, if I was a big fish hunter, I would probably just throw a streamer. Well, I'd probably just fish bait, really. But, um, you know, catching a big fish on a dry fly, when I'm saying big fish, I'm talking over, you know, 22, over, you know, big two-footers. You know, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, but, you know, when you can, you do your homework and you know the hatches and you know, um, you know, some of the locations where these fish are and what specific bugs bring them bring them to the surface? Because uh, they will definitely come up and eat a eat a dry fly, um, and it may not be always because you know everybody knows that you know as trout get to a certain size, their diet changes to you know a pisivorous, um palate. There, I guess you'd call it. But uh, um, you know, there's something extraordinary when you manage to stick a big trout on a dry fly. Um, the you know observation here is key timing is key and i guess perseverance is key too but that's you know if you're going to chase big fish i think perseverance is key no matter how you're fishing for them um but you know i i guess because there's a lot of hype around streamer fishing and catching big fish on streamers and i don't know maybe it's a maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction to that um i I find it pretty satisfying to catch a two-footer on a draft fly yeah, it's funny while you were, were answering the question, I'm having these flashbacks to like fishing the bighorn and, um, and, you know, working specific fish for a while or doing the same thing down in Argentina. And it is, it's fun for sure. Uh, it is. And it's humbling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of cool to catch a fish on your terms. You know, I, I think, I think there's plenty of times where if I'm fishing by myself and I'll go, I'll go fishing, there's plenty of times where I never even make a cast. You know, I, I'm, I'm have it said in my head that I think this is what's going to happen. And if it doesn't go that way, it doesn't go that way. You know, I want to, I want to get in that fish's world and I want to be there when, when that fish is looking up and, um, when I'm there, the, the payoff is, is worth it. <laughs> yeah. It's also fun too, sometimes just to kind of play with them and see if you can get them to eat something they shouldn't. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, I think, I, and you'll see that I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit, maybe this is off the subject a little bit, but, you know, when you, early mornings, I think is a good time to do that. I think early mornings is a good time to find a big fish, um, on the dry fly, um, during, you know, prime hat season, you know, May, if late around here, it's May, early June. Um, we have lots of caddis in the evenings and in the mornings when you have all those dead, spent caddis and spent mayflies that kind of get knocked loose from a little eddy somewhere. Those fish will get along the banks and you'll see some pretty big noses poking out early in the morning when they still feel safe in that shallow water. And I think it's a good time to, 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 to target those fish. Right? I think that, and again, you can throw, you can throw all kinds of stuff at them and they're just, I call, you know, I call them garbage eaters, but you know, it's whatever's coming at them. They're going to eat it. You know, they don't get super picky. They're just there to, to chow down for the for the morning breakfast buffet. Yeah, it's funny too because it's something crazy. Like when you're walking a stream bank and you can actually hear them smacking. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's pretty slick. And, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the interview, but, you know, even if you aren't planning to fish Pennsylvania, can you kind of remind our listeners how they can use uh, your book to kind of help them up their game on their home water? Yeah, you know, that's a, I love this question, actually. You know, I think I think a whole bunch of the flies in the book travel really well. You know, and really, I mean, after all, the patterns come from some of the fishiest people I know. I mean, there's no... There's no doubt um, that the, that the flies catch fish. Um, you know, most of the nymphs in the book are either attractors or general imitators of um, you know immature aquatic insects. And you know, any place that there's mayflies and caddisflies and stonefly nymphs, you know, the, the, the patterns in this book will, will work. Um, the dry flies are easily. I, I do this consciously too. Um, the dry flies are easily adapted to um, different hatches across the country and even across the, the world really and know uh, small changes in the color of the body materials on you know say on like henry ramsey's thorax done it's a, it's a great dry fly in here um you know you just change the change the color scheme and maybe change the hook size to whatever you need in your local waters and the materials are, are relatively simple and easy to get and you're you're in the you're you're there you're in the game um it's uh um the patterns that, that I have included, you know, they're included more for their construction than their coloration. Um, I think that um, the silhouette or the imprint of the, in the surface room allow, allow the, some of the dry flies to excel in different hatches or different water types or even lighting or seasonal conditions like Tom Baltz's Perinum. Depending on the wind post color that you use will allow you to fish it in different light conditions, you know, and it, and that applies no matter where you go. It's a great generalist um, dry fly that, uh, you know, can be fished successfully anywhere. Um, you know, and the streamers in the book, well, you know, they're streamers. And streamers work anywhere that big fish eat smaller fish. Um, you know, there's, there's some great, there's a great a couple of great sculpted patterns in here. Um, I have the, the game changer in here, which is just a phenomenal platform for, you know, everything. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of these places, not only in Pennsylvania, but other places um, are heavily pressured. And, we're, and so maybe you're taking a fly that maybe not might not be a local favorite, but it's just something a little different than those fish are normally seeing, which might give you, it might give you an edge. You know, back to Tom's parent is, you know, take that thing and throw it on a picky riser on the, on the Missouri river you know, maybe that fish hasn't seen that fly that often. That, you know, my money's on that on that parent that that fish will eat it if <laughs> it's the right size. So, I think with the nymphs, you know, subtle coloration differences on the triggers on the attractor nymphs. You know, it, it just maybe there's a certain color that works better in your local area. So you switch, say, the Frenchie to a, you know, instead of a red, you know, thorax, you put on a it has a yellow thorax or whatever picking colors here um you know just change them up a little bit and, and that's why they're there i mean the same applies for the waters of pa it, it just i think they travel well i guess is the, is the bottom line yeah i think it's amazing you know um you know if you're lucky enough to get to travel to fish a fair amount you know in particularly fish in heavily pressured water and you talk to the guides and i mean you know gosh you go to montana and they're like they just don't like beads and you're you know if you're like me, you fish, you know, relatively sterile freestone streams in Western North Carolina. You're like, how can they not like a bead? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but it's like, well, they've gotten stuck a lot. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun and it's, uh, it's funny because I, um, you know, there are lots of different tying books that I find, you know, I can always find patterns that work really well kind of in the mid Atlantic for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, uh, and, I, and again, I think it comes back to, especially on heavily pressured water, you throw something that they just haven't, they don't see a lot of, I think it's, and the silhouette's right, the size is right, and or the, the trigger's right on it. I think you're, I think you're, you're going to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of um, segue to the blocking and tackling. I'm always curious to ask authors, you know, uh, how they like the, uh, the writing and the editing process. You know, it was great. I, and this kind of goes back to, to Jay. Uh, uh, he was, like I said, he was incredibly helpful and supportive throughout the whole process. I think the the biggest 
thing that was a surprise to me was sort of how, and maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, but how easy the writing came because apparently I can just blather on about this stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really love the photography part of the part of the book as well. Um, again, Jay's expertise there. Um, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, um, to doing you know this kind of photography. But uh, I'm, I'm especially happy with how that turned out. Um, and uh, you know, the other really fun part of it was you know just to talk to people about it and talk talk about flies and talk about techniques and, you know, talk to other people who are into it just as much as I am, you know, which was just great. You know, I don't always do that. So. Yeah. Very neat. And so did you kind of write the book episodically? Cause you got 50 patterns and you kind of have a framework for how you want those 50 patterns to be presented. And so did you kind of sit down and kind of write them one pattern at a time and, or I did, did. Yeah. Yeah. I just knocked them out one at a time. I just, I would get into it. I, I was able to talk to some, to some of the creators, you know, like uh, Craig Matthews for the X Cat. He's super generous with his time. Renee Harrop was again was, was another one who was very, very generous and spent some time talking to me about the flies and and the patterns and how they came about. And uh, you know, those people. It was it was like I said, it was the great one of the best parts of the whole experience is just getting to talk to those people and and you know get get the, what their take was on why why they did what they did, why, why the, why this, those, the construction of the fly is the way it is. It gives you insights and, you know, into if you're a tire, like I am, you know, it gives you insights into, you know, you know, making, you know, some tweaks and some other patterns of, um, for yourself, you know, and it, you know, who knows? Like I said, sometimes the, I rely really heavily on throwing something that's just a little different than what, what the fish are seeing. Yeah, it's interesting. I can imagine like you'd have like a long phone conversation with one of the uh, originators and then you'd be like super stoked and you would just bang out the fly, fly writing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. It, it, like I said, I can, I can talk about this stuff all day long and it, it just, I just had to sort of rein that in a way. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was, there was some significant editing on a lot of them, a lot of them, but, uh, um, and most of that came from myself. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I thought it would be harder to sort of talk about, okay, well, this is a dry fly kind of thing. Um, but it, it really, it really just kind of flowed and it was, it was overall, it was a great experience. And we were a little delayed with COVID and all, but you know, that just gave me a little breathing room, made me feel better to go back and edit a little bit. And, you know, it, it actually worked out. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you were, you you're one of the people that did, it didn't make you not want to write anymore. So do you have another book project in your future? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I've kicked around some ideas, but nothing, nothing right now. Got it. And, uh, kind of anything else going on in your fly fishing world you want to share with our listeners? Um, you know, not, you know, doing some, some presentations here and there to some groups and, you know, really I, what I'd really like to, to talk like take this opportunity to say, is just to say thank you to everybody who's been supportive of the book and who helped out with the book and, and those who've, you know, you know, been nice enough to come fishing with me and, you know, who knows what's going on, you know, in the future. It could be another book, could be, who knows anything, you know, as long as, as long as we can you know, make sure we keep conservation on the forefront on the, uh, of, of our minds and try to protect what we have and make things, the good things, you know, the bad things better and the good things keep them good. Um, I've got, uh, I've got really nothing immediate coming up. So I just, like I said, I just want to take the time to thank everybody. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the great thing too, right. Is, I mean, for you, right. You bring in a book out during COVID, basically no fly fishing shows, right. Very different way to promote, but, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, we're all a little excited about, um, you know, what we're going to see happen in early 2022 on the show front. Do you have any, you know, shows you plan to be at or any events you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be at the Lancaster show in March. Uh, I'm not going to be able to make uh, the show in New Jersey. I think I'm going to Mexico. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the Lancaster show, I'll be time flies and I'm planning on giving a few presentations, um, at that show. So hopefully some people will come out and say hi. 
It'd be great to see everybody. It was nice at the Quai Tang Symposium to, to get to see everybody there and almost back to normal. Yeah, it's it's nice too. I like that event because it's really subdued, and so it gives you, um, you know, I was talking to someone uh, else earlier this evening, and it's like you know when you're at one of the other shows and you're talking to a tire, you kind of feel like you're in an autograph line at a rock concert, and right. you know you only get a certain amount of time to talk, and then people are kind of giving you that look like you need to move on, and uh, <laughs> and so it's nice like at the symposium because you can like have a nice long conversation with a tire and really kind of talk about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's really nice. Um, you know, and there's some phenomenal tires there, some innovative, some modern day innovators there. Um, it, it's really cool. I didn't get a chance to walk around as much as I wanted to, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely neat to talk about, you know, I had some, I had some interesting, some super nerdy conversations about hooks and things like that. So yeah, it was fun. <laughs> uh, it, it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's timely, right? Cause we're heading into the holiday season. Where are the best places for folks to find and purchase your book? Well, you know, I, I would encourage people to contact their local fly shops and if they don't have the book, um, um, you can always reach out to me via email or social media or the books online available online from you know, all the online sellers like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, um, and uh, you know my contact information can be found on my website, which is uh, riseformsflyfishing.com, and uh, I'm also. I have a, a social media presence. Um, uh, Instagram is at riseformsff. Oh, well, cool. Well, I'll drop all those in the show notes. And if folks wanted a personalized copy of the book, are you selling those through your website? Oh yeah. They're not, you can just contact me. I don't have the ability to do, to sell over the website, but we can, I can, we can do PayPal or whatever. Um, if they contact me, um, you know, via email or, or phone call or whatever. My, like I said, my contact information is on the website. So, yeah, you might have a few extra copies around the house. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although, <laughs> not a whole lot, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's a good thing, too, right? So, um, well, listen, Eric, I really appreciate you carving some time out for me this evening. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too, Martin. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, it was great to meet you and uh, to talk to you here tonight. And uh, I hope you all have a happy holiday. Absolutely. Same to you. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Tight lines, everybody. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.